Welcome to the Cup and Saucy Book Club. I'm Jen. And I'm Zanna. What's in your cup today, Zanna? It's pumpkin season, y'all. I'm drinking pumpkin pie, herbal organic from new to me, everything tea. One of our listeners sent me a link and I'm loving this very small tea company so much. How about you? I've got a French market blend from Cafe du Monde in New Orleans. It's a blend of coffee and chicory. And it is very early in the morning where I am, so <laughs> coffee, I need to jumpstart the day. Zana, please remind our listeners what I assigned you to read this month. You gave me Dirty Letters by Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward. And what did you think? I think I maybe didn't love it as much as you wanted me to love it, but I did like it a lot. <laughs> there was definitely a lot in this that spoke to me personally, that there were a lot of things that were familiar to me. It starts off with Luca, who is a woman who has, it's not immediately clear, but it's sort of clear that there's something kind of going on with her that she doesn't do crowds. Right. We find her shopping late at night, like two o'clock in the morning at the grocery store. So she is... It turns out pretty quickly we learn that she is agoraphobic and which means that she doesn't do uh, big open crowded spaces. Yeah. So the reason for this is because that she's uh, also she's got PTSD because she was at a concert with her best friend. There was a an explosion, a fire and a lot of people died, but she made it out. A lot of people, including her best friend. Yes. And so she is dealing with some pretty serious trauma. I do sort of understand the agoraphobia. I have not had it as severe as that. But certainly in this, po well, during the kind of the worst points of the pandemic, you know, where we all had this kind of collective international trauma. Of yeah. You know, not knowing it whether made it or not very difficult to get among people again. Yeah, and so for a lot longer than a lot of the people that I know, I was afraid to leave the house, and so I it took me going to therapy and being consistent with my my anti anxiety medication and all of that to be able to feel comfortable being around people. This year, as you know, we have been going to, actually, we just wrapped up the last of our, our book yeah. conventions, and we talked about it last week, but this has been a, a, a real, it started as a struggle, and I've been able to sort of grow a little bit stronger this year as, you know, as I've gone and been okay at each one of these book conventions and through yeah. a lot of therapy. I'm, I'm better now. I still get freaked out by crowds, but I'm not having panic attacks each time I'm in a crowd. So her description of the panic attacks that she got was relatable for sure. Absolutely. And actually same for me. I have mm -hmm. a very particular fear of fear of crowds it's crowds where I don't see an immediate exit 
And mm-hmm. this was one of the things that that got me about her agoraphobia in this way is that because she couldn't easily escape the fire at the concert. Right. This also, you know, reminded me uh, very strongly of an event when the Golden Gate Bridge was celebrating its 50th anniversary. They opened, they closed the bridge to car traffic mm-hmm. and they opened it to pedestrian traffic. Mm-hmm. My stepfather and I, I was 15, 16 at the time, and my stepfather and I walked the bridge together and then we managed to walk the bridge and it was pretty easy to do as far as, you know, there wasn't, there were people around, but it wasn't crowded. Right, right. right. And, and it was very early in the morning. And so we decided to turn around and head back. Mm-hmm. And about midway through the span, and so right at the point where it's the windiest and mm-hmm. it's and you feel everything on the bridge, we got separated. And oh, no. this is in the and this is in the age before cell phones, before yeah. you know, any of that. And we got separated for six hours. And the yeah. bridge got so crowded with people that it flattened out. With the weight I, of all I heard people. about that actually I, re- I remember yeah. reading about that and so I was right in the middle of the the span and it took me six hours to find him Wow and so ever since then I have been terrified of crowds of people where I don't know where the exits are yeah if if you know if it's something where now I don't put myself in those situations often mm-hmm. I think the last time was actually the the women's March. Mm-hmm. in yeah 2020 uh no 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 the women's the women's march it was uh 2017 oh god okay thank you yeah <laughs> all right so back in 2017 wow yeah, back in 20, so, yeah. so uh yeah <laughs> so back in 2017 Have I during the women's before march the time has lost all meaning in the last few years <laughs> <laughs> no kidding but yeah back in 2017 during the women's march we were in sacramento and we attended the march, and then we got to the state capitol, and mm-hmm. they had fenced off a section of the area in front of the state capitol, and we were starting to be pushed into this, like, tight funnel so that we oh. could then expand out. And uh-huh. I, it was at the end of the march, and I told my husband, I was just like, we need to you leave now out. I cannot, yeah. I, I cannot do this. And so, you know, we said goodbye to the friends that we had gone with and right. and uh, we left. That was that was the last time that I had put myself in a place like that because I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not a concert goer as uh, I mean I wasn't even when I was I wasn't teenager, really much so. I, I didn't I mean I've been I've been to concerts but I yeah I, I always too. I always question myself after, you know, like while I'm there like what <laughs> Was I thinking? Because this yeah. is loud and crowded and two things I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I love the music. I love to appreciate, you know, like musicians that... and Sure. You know, that... I, yeah, I, I appreciate the artists and I appreciate the art, but I'm like, I can appreciate it without having to be here. Well... And sometimes things happen at a live concert that you're never going to get on, on a recording. Oh, sure. Which is an awesome thing to witness, but at the same time, it's like... But I um, I, yeah. I tend to have JOMO rather than FOMO, the joy of missing out instead of the <laughs> fear of missing out. So I'm 
you know, sign me up for the Jomo <laughs> stuff. It's like, oh, fine. I mean, I do things where, uh, you know, I take you to book conventions and I take you to. Sure. And Renaissance fairs and like all, we do all kinds of stuff that. But there's exits. But there are exits. And I and generally I am working at those events. So I am in control of the situation enough to know where the yeah. exits are. It's like yeah. the first thing that I know going into right. any large building. Where is the exit? Where's the bathroom? That's the first thing. Those right. are the first two things that I know going into any building that is not my own home. <laughs> Getting back to the actual story. Lucas agoraphobia is so you have this combination mm-hmm. of of my and Xana's agoraphobia and then you put that together into the, its most extreme form mm-hmm. and then that's Luca because she doesn't even she doesn't even want to drive in where no. you know there's heavy traffic if there's going to be traffic she doesn't want to drive pretty early on I mean, basically the first chapter she's she's getting snacks for a road trip yeah which is not so she's also friends with the grocery store clerk, Doris, who is a grandmother of nine, but like a fan of Luca's because they talk all the time and, and, and yeah. Luca will buy her th- like chocolate and cherries for her grandkids. Yeah. They have this very sweet relationship. She's kind of a mother figure to her. She is. A little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. so Luca has lost both of her parents. Yes. So she is also... I mean, not only did she lose her best friend, but she lost her mother at an earlier age. And then her father had died the year previously. Yeah. So this is all before the book opens. Right. Before the book opens. But so the road trip is to go to New York to to close out her father's apartment, which is, again, one of those things that hit me while I was reading it because I finished closing out my dad's apartment at the end of August. Uh, listeners, uh, I need to tell you this, that I don't intentionally... She doesn't try to hurt me. I am not trying to hurt Xana, and I do not right. intentionally put her in these situations. It's I had honestly forgotten, because it's been a, a little while since I've read this book, so I had honestly forgotten about cleaning out the father's apartment. <laughs> it was a difficult time for her, but it was not like the worst of the difficult times for her. You know, so she had had yeah, a year yeah, to, no. to process some of this stuff. But so finally, she and her therapist, Doc. And if Doris is the is the mother figure to Doc her is in totally this book, the dad. Totally the dad. And yeah. I adore Doc. Yes. He was so he was one of my favorite he's, characters. He's basically a semi-retired therapist. He's a bit older and he's totally a bird watcher. Like he he is as interested in watching birds as he is in performing the duties of a therapist. Although, you know, yeah. he doesn't really act as a therapist so much as as a dad. I mean, he's just he's yeah, kind of just there as just, a dad. He's supportive you know, and he listens and counsels her and sure. um, but you know it's immediately obvious that they have much more than a therapist patient yeah and and yeah. they and and in fact it would be inappropriate for him to really do much more therapy because he loves her so much and yeah yeah he's too close to it he's too close to her and so you know he's going to want what will make her happiest not necessarily what will yeah, what is in her absolute best interests. Right, for sure. 
Right. He is no longer the point of objectivity. He's no, lost he his has objectivity. zero objectivity. And when, when it comes to her, at least. And, yeah. you know, but and not that he's giving her bad advice, not that he says no, bad things it's, at all. It, it's but just, it's from a different place. Right. Than, right. Than, you know, the Then you would really want to see with a yeah. professional therapist. Exactly. So while they're in New York cleaning out the apartment, Luca discovers a letter that has been sent to her father's apartment. And it is from her pen pal that she had since second grade. Yep. And she had stopped writing him eight years before when all this trauma with the fire and losing her best friend and everything and, and her agoraphobia springing into to full bloom she stopped writing because it was too much she just she couldn't deal with it so this letter is i mean fairly easy to tell by the so i listened to the book yes we should say that so um jen told me this is one i should listen to because it's got two of the narrators that i really are two of them i mean i like a lot of the narrators but um jacob morgan and andy arndt and they do a, a, a great job with with yes. all of this from the performance of the audiobook, And probably if I had eyeball read it as well, it's pretty obvious that this guy was drunk when he wrote this letter. Um, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So it essentially is um, Luca. He's you deeply suck. in his cups. Yeah, he's it's, in he's his deeply cups, in his cups right. and in his feels in big time. In he's all on angry. And he is very angry that she has abandoned him. And it's been several years like, since he even tried to write. But right. apparently she never really left his mind. And he got drunk and wrote a letter and sent it. And it had been sitting in her dad's apartment for, well, less than a year probably. because, Or maybe a year. I don't know. Yeah. A, for a while. And so she read it and laughed <laughs> i mean she was like sort of hurt <laughs> but also like like i feel so bad that i've done this but i'm not offended because i do suck you know it is it is awful that i haven't written yeah. to him it is awful that i've gone all through these things and we were because so he close doesn't know because he, yeah, doesn't, he know. doesn't know any of any of this he doesn't Anything know that my life has fallen apart and so yeah. she feels you know, it feels guilty that he got hurt because that was pretty clear from the letter too, that he got hurt. So she decides to write to him and try to explain herself. And so she does and he writes back, basically, I'm such an idiot. I didn't even think that you may have been going through something that it was all about me. And he had just recently lost his mother who he was very close to. Yes. And so it was a big deal for him to, and that was part of, honestly, that's probably part of the, I was drunk because I'm hurting because my mother died. And this person who was supposed to be my friend abandoned me eight years ago. And she's the one that I would be talking to about these things. Because right. we talked about all the big heavy things together. This is Griffin. They start writing back and forth to each other again. 
but it starts to get a little bit more suggestive that maybe it did and and then sort of flat out flat flirty. out flirty and and risque yeah because when they first wrote to each other they were kids yes and the, the and they later... did talk about like when they were teenagers they started talking about things you know they're they're burgeoning yeah. sexuality and like losing virginity and that kind of thing so it's pretty obvious from thinking about the old letters or, you know, when they talk about the old letters that teenage Griffin for sure had a crush on yeah. on her and she had a crush on him. This is another one of those things that kind of hit home a little bit for me. So anyway, I I had a friend who we met when we were four in an airport in Chicago. We were moving to England for seven months and um and they were going back to england because they lived there and the mother after we played together in the airport for a while the the mother told my you know my parents oh you must look us up when you are in england and the way that people do but that nobody ever really does right so yes. my dad my dad being my dad did he looked them up and we ended up going on several outings together and then just he kept in contact with them for for years and so every time we would go to England we would visit with this family well probably when we were when we visited when we were 6 15 maybe 16 uh we started becoming so the the guy and I started becoming pen pals and we started writing to each other all the time. And, you know, I, I had a little bit of a crush. I doubt he did. But, you know, we to the point that like we wrote to each other all the time. And like when I was in college, I went to go visit to go visit England and ended up spending like four days with him at university. And it was pretty clear then that while I will always love him, we were not meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different story for Griffin yeah. and Luca. They became I closer. Also, and, yeah. Yeah. I also had a British pen pal uh, uh-huh. guy and nothing and nothing even close to that. Yeah. To this kind of love story. Yeah. I, I found it one of the reasons why I wanted you to read this book. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I knew uh, I knew about your pen pal and knew about mine. And I was just right. like, okay, it, for that reason alone, we've got to do this. Right. So, yeah. yeah and yes, so, I mean, it, a... was, it, it was interesting because, you know, some of it was relatable as far as the, the things that you would talk about. Because you could sort of talk about, I mean, this, this person is not in your everyday orbit. Um, this person, yeah. you know, that you care about them, they care about you. Like, I'm still friends with this guy. We're both happily married. We both have kids, you know, but they're, he's still a good friend. And yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't trade that friendship for anything. And it's one of my most enduring friendships. But yeah, it's 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 interesting to see it from from that love story perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and and this what if sort of take on it, mm-hmm. but yes, uh, Luca and Griffin's story goes. Mm-hmm. You know, they once they reconnect, as you said, they get they get closer, they catch up, and right. then they get 
and then they start getting sort of sexualized and like so the the sort of the tipping point for this is where she confesses that she kept going back to McDonald's or whatever it was in in the you know to get furbies that would vibrate yeah those were her first her first yeah, sex toys her first sex toys <laughs> so he almost immediately sends her a box full of furby little toys of furby toys from, that he yeah, found on little, ebay so one of the things that happens with this is that there is an invoice inside the box that shows a a return address or an address that she knew that he was in the music business but she didn't know exactly what he did in the music industry mm -hmm. she just thought oh maybe this is where he works and so he she was like i think i now have an address for the for the company where he works and i want to go that's a huge step for somebody yes. who has that kind of anxiety and has that kind of uh, phobia to because this is on the other side of the country she cannot fly she can't she's in take vermont. trains she's in vermont yep. and this is going to los angeles doc being doc and while well, being the dad instead of the therapist shows up in a beat up old rv and with the idea hey i'll go with you this is my sister's rv let's drive it across the country I think he's just so excited that she's willing to go outside of her comfort zone that he just is like, yes, let's go both feet. Let's. And then also yeah. I can see birds on the way. And, yeah. <laughs> and I can meet up with other my, my other bird watcher friends, you know, you see my other birders and yeah, it'll be awesome. So they do. They head off across country. Meanwhile, before this happens. Yes. I was going to say, we're we're missing half of the story here. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm only talking about Luca. So on Griffin's side of the story, we find out that Griffin is now, not only works in the music industry, he's a major rock star. I mean, he's yes. like a huge name in in rock music. Yeah, this is, he is like at, uh, although he wasn't in a boy band, he had right. a, you know, just a band, but he's like justin timberlake yeah level yeah of right you know yeah, early so, success right way more money than than he knows what to do with and huge fan base and and, and rabid fans you know that kind of thing that they'll go crazy for him no matter what he does does when he starts corresponding with luca again he hires a private detective to find out about her to make sure she's not you know, weird. I mean, she is weird. Yeah. But in, you know, not not going to be stalkery fangirl type thing. And also to see what she looks like. We should also yeah. mention, too, that he had recently, just as the book is opening, he had recently been burned by somebody that he had trusted for a long time. Right. Oh, yeah. He, yeah so his, his child, it was a childhood friend of his who he had hired yeah. as business manager had embezzled a bunch of money from him. Yeah, and so he did, you know, people who had been in his life, even for a long time, 
we're no longer you know, in that, his life. We're no longer trustworthy. And right. And it, that's probably and, another reason why he wrote the letter because he was feeling, you know, betrayed and, you know, yes. alone and without people he could trust. And so he, you know, he lashed out at the first person he felt like seriously betrayed him. But that, yes, betrayed him, but also that he could trust because he had never met her. Right. Right. But anyway, he hires a private detective and and this and the private detective reports that she's taken off on this road trip. So he knows that she's coming for him or she's coming towards him, at least. Yeah. And and the funny thing to me about the private detective was he's like, you know, he's describing Doc and he's like, I don't know, she took off in this RV with this old guy that uh, could be a boyfriend. I don't know, you know. Some sort of pervert. He's always looking through the binoculars. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, Griffin, having heard about Doc now, um, all the time, he knows exactly who it is, but it's just like, okay, that's how you're looking at it, but that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, once a private eye, always a private eye. I I mean, you spend your, always assume the affair. Yeah. Yeah. Always assume the affair and that the the spouse did it, you know? Right. (laughs) So exactly. Yeah. It doesn't take long for her to figure out that this is Griffin, but he introduces himself as Cole Archer, which is his pseudonym and his stage name his stage name they don't do much with her pseudonym she's also a uh, an author and she writes suspense yeah we're given to imagine that she's john grisham type yeah her her pseudonym is and most of her fans think she's a guy her her pen name is ryan griffin so taking the last name from her childhood pen name that was hers and then the first name of her pen pal yeah so but they don't really do a whole lot with that and that to me is I, i feel like maybe a slightly lost opportunity to do something about her own fame in her own but because they it's very different kinds of fame so she's famous in her own right and she makes money doing what she does but nobody knows who she really is and so she has a very quiet kind of fame but then cole archer who's actually griffin marchese is famous everywhere you know she didn't know who he was because she doesn't listen to his music but then once she finds the name, she starts looking it up and she realizes that this is, he's very famous. And, and so he's worried that she has known all along who he was and that she was a fan and decided to, to pursue this. But that's pretty quickly busted. She doesn't really know who he is. So she she has just learned about him since she's been parked in front of the house. I, I checked back in this. Mm-hmm. When he shows up at the the door of the RV, mm-hmm. she knows that it's him. Okay, but she can't. But she doesn't know, like, why he is there exactly. Right. Like, she doesn't know Cole Archer at all. Right. But right. She recognizes Griffin immediately, uh-huh. uh, just from the the pictures. Okay. And and so you know, a lot of times when when we talk about uh, books where there's these secret identities, there's always the lie part that you and I yeah. both, like, we hate the lie. Fortunately for this book, the lie does not last long. 
Right. Um, it lasts, you know, a, a couple of hours, I think, mm -hmm. um, right. at most, because they have a short amount of time together and, and yeah. they both know it. So right. they come together and talk very quickly, yes. um, you know, about who the other is. He is internationally famous and... His first and plays successful, to like sold out stadiums and which right. is a terrifying idea to right. her. Yeah, that's like it's like the worst nightmare of anywhere she yeah. could be. His yeah. his first hit in the yeah. song that made him famous was a song called Luca, and it was very angry. And it was after she first first stopped writing to him, and mm -hmm. so he wrote this song that was all about you know how. How could you like leave betrayal me? Betrayal and point? you know, and, right? Yeah. That kind of and thing. It was, it was a very and like Alanis Morissette, you ought to know kind of <laughs> right, right, kind of song. Yes, it was very much that kind of song, apparently, and that was, and it's still like the most requested song for him to play at the concerts, and so he would end the concerts with with that song pretty much all the time. But anyway, it, it was difficult for for her. I mean, so when they did, when they get together, there's clearly chemistry in person yes. as well. There's there's clearly a lot of feelings between the two of them as well. She though leaves because they have to get back to Vermont and they have to drive. And he's like, "Well, I'll drive you back." I, you know, I want to spend more time with you. And, and she said, no, no, you've got things. I can't, I can't hold you back. Don't make me hold you back because I will have a lot of anxiety about that. I just, I can't, I can't let you put your life on hold for me. Meanwhile, he's like, you are my life. You are the thing that is most important to me. But you're not understanding that. And so he ends up following them back to Vermont. And they have, you know, a lovely time together. But she keeps pushing him away because she is, she's afraid she's trapping him. And she doesn't want to be the thing that, that causes him to, to, to shut out the rest of the world. And yeah, she doesn't, what it comes down to is that she doesn't think she is worth his love she doesn't think she's more important than the other things in his life and doesn't ever give him the opportunity to make that decision for himself and on his side he's got he has this he wants to take care of her right you know in the in the most loving way that he can but he knows that that his fame and his success and his yeah. brand of success, it limits, it limits what they can be together because right. she will always be, you know, terrified of this and everything mm -hmm. that he represents and what his career is or everything that his career represents rather, not him right. personally. Yeah. But that there will always be this, this point of, you know, he can't, even if he never toured again, he couldn't stop being Cole Archer. Right. Because everybody would, you know, see him, know who he is, you know. Yeah. I mean, he, There's when, never they're, when they're together. Yeah. Yeah. When they're together in Vermont, that's the closest that, that mm -hmm. they ever get. 
So he goes with her to to the grocery store for one of her mm-hmm. late night runs to the grocery store and meets Doris mm-hmm. and Doris fangirls because right. she's a Cole Archer fan, you know? Right. He gives her this whole Doris, this whole speech about, you know, he's like, well, but see, there's, there's the problem, Doris. He's mm-hmm. like, I, I have feelings for this woman, but here's why I can't do anything about it is because everyone knows my face. At the time, though, it was a plea to Doris to not spread it around that he was there. Yes. And yeah. um, but it really came also as a it hit while it was very touching to Luca. It also hit her as the and this is why we can't work. Um, and so she breaks up with him. And in doing that, he has no way to make sure that she's OK, except mm-hmm. through Doc. Right. And then, of course, Doc then takes this opportunity to say, well, you know, doctor-patient confidentiality. Right. Yeah, it's like, well, you're playing pretty fast and loose with the rules there, Doc. But but he also ends up sort of (laughs) offering counsel to to Griffin a lot of the time. And so he ends up basically with both of them as, as patients, even though they're not, I mean, though Griffin's not really a patient, you know. But he tries to advise him how to love somebody with. Doc at least promises to tell him if something happens to her. Right. You know, that, right. that she's that, you know, she's alive, she's breathing and, you know, that, yeah. that. So but this whole experience with Griffin and before she breaks up with him and, and then after sort of sets her back in her mental health journey. Yeah. She gets it becomes more difficult for her to to do these things or you know to to do the things that she had gotten better at and so she retreats somewhat into herself without giving much more of the story right. away than we've already done <laughs> which we've already given way too she much she does go back to some parts of the source of why she has this trauma yeah so she actually goes to confront some of the the fears yeah, and, and the she confronts and... some of the 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 anxieties and and so one of the things that i liked about this about this story is that mm-hmm. he doesn't rescue her she, no i like that too rescue her right she's she self-rescuing had, she is self-rescuing and it's her own realization yeah that that is something that i was a little bit afraid of early on that it was going to be yeah. you know magical healing penis and it yeah. wasn't and it wasn't magical <laughs> no, healing penis it wasn't i mean not not that it wasn't good but you know it was yeah. not no it yes wasn't that. It, it no it doesn't work like that and at the end of the book she's not healed she's no. not fully healed she's better no. she's certainly. better but they make accommodations for her, the things she can't do. And she is, she and Griffin are partners and yes. in, her, in their journey together, he yeah. has a better understanding of how to be a partner to someone with mental illness, you know, and she's able to, to, to be much more involved and in not being a creature to be coddled. I don't know how intentional it was on Vikeelan and Penelope Ward's part to to have this kind of representation of mm-hmm. people who deal with mental health issues. 
but it's really well done, you know, mm-hmm. in that they don't shy away from it. Right. And they're never and there's never a moment of, oh, yes, I'm healed. Now everything's 100 percent better because I, you know, went to three therapy sessions and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, and I read this Eckhart Tolle book and I'm now I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, you know, no, like none of that. This is a lifelong effort sometimes, mm-hmm. particularly with something like this that is that is multifaceted i mean it's not just the agoraphobia it's the ptsd Mm-mm. and it's the depression and and it's you know, just and it's dealing with tremendous loss i mean she is dealing with tremendous tremend- loss yeah and then over over a period of years mm-hmm. and there's all of those things that are clustered all together and so that it's not just going to be magically healed by the end of the book and right. i love what I loved about this was that they didn't. They didn't even try. They were yeah, like, you know what? It, this is But it can still be is. a happy ending. It can be still yeah. a happy ending, even if she has not been healed of all of her mental illness. And, you know, because people with mental illness do deserve happy endings. And even if... They do. Even if there's still struggles ahead. I mean, there, there are going to be struggles. Yeah. That's true for everybody. There's always going to be struggles ahead. And... You know, to say you can you can still enjoy your life and still have love, even if even if your brain isn't perfect. I think the the important thing too is that in the happily ever afters. I mean, yes, in some romance books, there's the happily right now. Mm-hmm. This isn't that. I I really believe that you know that Griffin and Luca get a happily ever after, mm-hmm. but here's what theirs looks like is that it's not perfect. It's not, you know, that they, they have struggles and they do, you know, that, that they have harder times that they have to get through. And even at the very end of the book, they have Mm -hmm. things that we won't spoil of that, but they have things that they have to, that they have to deal with. It's about finding the moments of joy when you can find them, you know, because, all of us have difficulties in our lives and, right. and it presents itself differently for every person. But what remains the best parts of a life are those moments of joy and you've got to grab hold of them when you can find them. And even if mm-hmm. they're small ones or if they're big ones, like a happily ever after, then yeah, you have to take them. And that's that was the whole thing about what I loved about this book and why I wanted you to read it. It was just that. I thought it was for Hortensia. Oh, <laughs> Hortensia. Uh, yeah. The one character we haven't mentioned yet is Hortensia, the pig. Uh, Luca has a pet. Yeah. Pig, Hortensia. Uh, yeah. And, and so. she has conflicts within herself about eating bacon. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. She's all about pig rescue, but she can't, pass up bacon yeah (laughs) so uh, i i love animals but i'm not a vegan so yeah it's it's a thing to think about but yeah it's that's that is uh no it wasn't hortensia (laughs) although hortensia was part of it but this was this was the kind of thing that especially reading this post shutdown post post collective worldwide trauma yeah because I believe this book was written before that. I um, think so. 
Yeah, I think yeah. this was 2019. So yes, this was before it all it all changed, and but now the, she would be considered weird for avoiding crowds. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she would be considered safe and healthy. <laughs> that's right. Which which we you know this is and and but that's also okay. So how do we get? We can't get back to whatever normal was. Right. And yeah. there's some of us who don't want to. No. It's again, how do we find the moments of joy? Right. When the whole entire earth has gone through this traumatic event, mm-hmm. you know, but we've got to still find the moments of joy because if we don't, that's that's nothing to live off of. Right. That's true. Susanna? Using our five cup rating system, what do you give Dirty Letters? I think I am going to give it a four. There's a lot about it that I really liked. And, I, you know, there were a lot of things that hit home for me. Some of the pacing was a little weird for me. It, there were some things that were very slow and then some things that were like, wait, what just happened? But overall, I enjoyed the, and, and I enjoyed the performances from the audiobook. book. Uh, the story was good. Maybe if I wasn't also still going through some of my own traumas, it would be a little easier. Yeah. This this might be another another yeah, one to revisit, revisit it when I'm not you know so fresh with you know yeah. with my own grief. But yeah, uh, but I think four. Yeah. How about you? I'm actually going to give it four and a half. Okay. There there were a few pacing issues for me as well. Mm-hmm. It was a departure from uh, other Vikeland and, and Penelope Award books that I have read. They are frequent partners, uh, writing partners, and so, mm-hmm. uh, but they have written their own books separately. The thoroughness with which they take their stories and the representation of Luca's mental health issues and all mm-hmm. of that is really meaningful to me as far as they aren't setting out to, you know, make sure that we have fully represented and here's all the resources for you know they made her human when you do that they made her human and they and they made and is probably one of the most realistic happily ever afters that i have ever sure sure because it's not perfect yeah not perfect i Um, you know honestly that part that part i really liked I, i do like that that this was another thing that i liked actually was that we didn't have the lot. We this is not you spent your entire time reading this book and thinking to yourself, how are these two going to come together? How is this going to work? You know, because they do have a real they have a real legitimate impasse. Yeah. That would be difficult for any couple to work through. Right. And it's one that's not just a, a manufactured impasse. It's something that, that really yeah, you know, it's, is realistic. It's yeah. not just and a plot a device. Thing. I agree that that is a, a good thing. Four cups for Xana, four and a half for me. And your next assigned reading, Xana, is The Plight Before Christmas by Kate Stewart. As we enter the holiday season. I've been hearing a lot about this book. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about this book. Play Before Christmas by Kate Stewart. So, listeners, Xana has read the Ravenhood trilogy. We didn't review it on this show, and we're not going to review it on this show because it is a series, and we deal... Because we don't spend a lot of time reviewing books on this show, 
we only do standalones. That was a decision that Zana and I made early on. But occasionally I read things on my own. <laughs> yes, occasionally she reads things on her own, not just because I made her do it. The triggers that I need to mention ahead of this, because, you know, for listeners who are thinking, God, Jen, you keep giving her these these books with all of this trauma and why you do that. And it is not doing that intentionally. It is just that these books are that good and they have they have had an impact on me. So that's why I share them with Santa. With Plight Before Christmas, there is parental death that is discussed, but it happens before well before the book begins, but is only discussed in one scene, essentially. Okay. There's also mention of illness, cancer, and there is a whole lot of family dynamic. And this one is, it's a duet on audiobook with Maxine Mitchell and Joe Arden. Friends of the show. Both friends of the show. And I think that if you had any doubt mm -hmm. about Maxine or Joe's ability to do kid voices, that this will clinch it for you. Okay. Well, I already know Maxine is the queen of kid voices, but... Absolutely, and she proves it. Okay. The vocal prowess that both of them do in this book is just outstanding. So okay. it's The Plight Before Christmas by Kate Stewart. So I have to listen to this one, too. <laughs> yes, yes, you need to listen to this one. <laughs> it's a theme. Maybe next season I'll actually give you eyeball reads, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> if you would like to read along with Xana or reread uh, re along, because I know a lot of our listeners have already read this one and enjoy it. If you would like to read along with Xana, please visit our website, Cup and Saucy Books, for links and show notes. You can also follow us on social media at Cup and Saucy Books. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Let us know if you have a book you would like us to review on the show. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review. Thank you for joining us for the Cup and Saucy Book Club. A sneak peek of the episodes this month. November 13th is new narrator Katie Thompson. November 20th is author C.D. Reese, and that was a fun interview. And November 27th is author and narrator Tanya Eby. Thank you for joining us for the Cup and Saucy Book Club. Join us next time for more great conversations with people from the world of books. And probably a few tangents. Happy reading. Cheers. Cheers.